0: Welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I am the Discipleship Ministry Team's Adult Ministry Coordinator, and I am uh, bringing you a resource that you can share with your church, encourage people to download and listen to. You could also download the transcript of this at uh, cpcmc.org forward slash we source, W-E-S-O-U-R-C-E. That's cpcmc.org forward slash we source. This is something that we're offering to the churches. It's going to be an ongoing thing, uh, but we're going to start it with this Lenten season. Uh, This is just an introductory podcast to what the season of Lent is for those who may not know or seek to gain a little more understanding on why we observe Lent. We're going to have a special guest at the end of the podcast today, and that is going to be my daughter, Hannah, and she is going to share with us her memories of Lent. She grew up in a um, Baptist church that did not observe any of the traditional holidays of the church and uh, i'm just going to ask her a couple questions on uh, what lent has meant to her how she observes it these kinds of things so stay tuned for that because i'm looking forward to doing it so we come now what is lent lent is a 46 day period which most christians in the church observe it's part of the liturgical calendar it's a common misunderstanding that Lent is simply a 40-day period, but the reason for the difference is that Sundays aren't counted in the days of Lent because Sundays are, quote, little resurrection days. So you can break from your fast on Sundays of Lent, so praise God for that. We were meant to rejoice on Sundays. So, for instance, if you've given up chocolate and because your you know, devotion to God depends on whether you eat chocolate or not, Uh, You can eat chocolate on Sundays because those are days which Christ, has little resurrection days, Christ is raised and joy comes. Lent comes from the Old English word Lenten, which means lengthen. It is the spring season when the days begin to get longer. The liturgical color is purple, and so when you go to your church, you'll probably see uh, the purple uh, linens on the pulpit and the altar. Now, if you're being an, an, an observant Cumberland Presbyterian, you might also notice that we use purple during the season of Advent. Advent is also a 40-day period before Christmas, but the difference is one of moods and intention in Advent and Lent. Advent is the joyful expectation of the coming of the Messiah to save us from our sin. Lent, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, is used for a time of repentance and introspection as we meditate on the sufferings of Christ on the cross for our sins. Lent is about recognizing and embracing one's mortality and acknowledging the sinfulness that marks this earthly life. Since Christians believe that Jesus' resurrection foreshadows the resurrection and the renewal of the whole world at the end of days, Lent is a time to reflect on our sin and the things that keep us away from the life abundant that he promises. We mourn death and brokenness, and we anticipate the day when this broken world will be healed in Jesus Christ. So Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, which I believe is March 6th this year, and it ends on Easter morning. So Lent includes all of Holy Week with the holy days of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. The 40 days of fasting is patterned on the 40 days of Christ, that he went to the wilderness after his baptism. Scripture says he was led in the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted, prayed, and was tempted by Satan. And Christians have used this pattern for their practices of Lent throughout history. It's been modified throughout history, and people observe Lent in many different ways and in different cultures. So when did Lent kind of officially start? Well, a period of fasting before Easter was widespread in Christian practice by the early, mid-2nd century, so um, 120, 130 A.D., very close to the <coughs> to the, the original church. Best we can tell is that uh, people fasted for two days or for 40 hours at the beginning, but that fast time varied greatly from region to region. Some cultures kept a six-day fast, others as much as three weeks. And it was after the Council of Nicaea in 325 that the fast eventually became the 40 40 days, uh, and then it became uniform throughout Christendom. During the season of Lent, many churches celebrate with different forms of worship, and they observe certain traditions that's been passed on from the traditions of the early church. Uh, Lots of Christians already do this, but uh, I instituted in our church during the time of Lent the practice of the daily office. The daily office is the practice of regular times of prayer and worship, Now, you've probably heard that Muslims pray five times a day, and that sounds like a lot, but our Jewish ancestors and early and medieval Christians prayed seven times a day. In our modern times, most people will follow a cycle of the daily office that includes four times of prayer morning, noon, evening, and night. You can access a daily prayer app from your cell phone by searching for Presbyterian Daily Prayer. Or, if you'd like, you could sign up for the evotions that are delivered by our denomination each morning, uh, by visiting cpcmc.org forward slash evotions. So again, that's cpcmc.org forward slash evotions. That's E-V-O-T-I-O-N-S. Think of devotions, but take off the D. You can use those to begin each morning or evening, however you want to use them. So the practice of the daily office, some people take up. Uh, Another thing that's very common in churches, it is Catholic with the little c. It's the Uh, universal, is the practice of Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent and the occasion when many Christians observe what is called the imposition of the ashes. Now, in Protestantism and Evangelicalism, Ash Wednesday kind of fallen out of uh, favor in the past, but it's making a really hard comeback. It's on the rise in Evangelical churches, and for good reason. Uh, Two scripture texts for the observance of Ash Wednesday, first is Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it says by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust you will return and then ezekiel chapter 9 says this now the glory of the uh, the glory of the god of israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple then the lord called to the man clothed in linen who had uh, a writing kit at his side And said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. And as I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the mothers and the children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. So that's kind of some of the basis as to why we do the Ash Wednesday Um, observance. Biblical characters that sat in ash or spread ashes on their head include Job, Jonah, Mordecai, Tamar, and Abraham. So how do we observe this Ash Wednesday service? Well, actually you take the palms from the previous uh, procession from Palm Sunday. A lot of churches bring in palms and they sing, sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You keep those palms and, you, and by the time the next Ash Wednesday comes around, they're dried out, and churches use those palms to uh, create the ashes, and you put a cross-shaped mark on your forehead. Sometimes people do just a dot. Uh, traditionally, uh, people have fasted in some way. Protestants tend to give up something pleasurable in order to spend more time in worship, prayer, or meditation, or service. Uh, if you're a member of the Latin Catholic Church, The norms of fasting are obligatory from age 18 to 59. In their uh, tradition, when they fast, a person is permitted to eat one full meal as well as two smaller meals that together do not equal a full meal. So the norms concerning abstinence from meat are binding upon members of the Latin Catholic Church from age 14 onwards. So um, fish on Fridays, buddy. You probably remember that from school. No red meat. Uh, Again, I've talked about this kind of briefly, but most churches uh, celebrate a procession of the the palms. Uh, This is when the congregation proceeds from the front of the sanctuary to the altar, and they lay down their palms, and they sing some kind of song that signifies Jesus Christ as the Son of the Living God. Some churches organize a procession from one point of a local landmark in their city to the church itself and proceed directly to the altar to begin worship. Around the world, especially in Catholic countries, whole cities shut down for a procession of the palms, and it runs through the entire town. I encourage you to go to CNN or <clears throat> USA Today or Getty Images or whatever and just uh, search for Palm uh, Sunday processionals in, throughout the world. it's It just looks like fun. All right, so one of the services that I perform uh, it during holy week is called a tenebrae service tenebrae means shadow or darkness it can take place on monday thursday or good friday many churches will have this service it's actually most of the time in america called the service of gathering darkness this service revolves around scripture readings of the passion of the christ and the music which leads the congregation to identify with the cost of god's love and grace for god's people the place of a tenebrae service should be able to hide all light. In the service, the only light is the 7 to 13 candles, including the Christ candle. It depends on how you break up the readings. With each reading, one of the lights is extinguished until the final reading, where the rock of the tomb is rolled in place. Then the Christ candle is taken out of the sanctuary or it's extinguished. When the Christ candle is uh, taken out of the sanctuary or extinguished, uh, the congregation will stomp its feet or beat on the pews. Or someone might, if you have a drum or, or, or something, make loud noises to signify that rolling of the tomb has been sealed. And the service ends with the congregation departing in silence with no benediction. And the reason why you don't have a benediction is because, thankfully, the story is not over. The benediction will not happen till the end of worship on Easter Sunday when God's people receive a great and joyous benediction. Another thing that's practiced is the stripping of the altar. This service helps to manifest the grief and humiliation of Christ. It's done on Monday, Thursday, and at the end of the service, there is a systematic stripping of the glory of the church, just as the soldiers systematically stripped and humiliated Christ of his dignity. It begins with the taking out of the palms that were dropped by the altar on Palm Sunday. Uh, they next, the candles, including the Christ candle, are extinguished and taken out of the sanctuary. Because the light of the world has been extinguished, so the light departs from the church. After the candles, the offering plates are removed. Christ was the offering to God, and he was moved to the grave, so we remove our offerings. Then the hymnals, all worship aids and plants and decorations are removed. As the joyous songs of Palm Sunday turned into despondency and grief, so church, the church removes the songs of joy and liturgy from the sanctuary. Next, the communion where is is removed. Christ offered his body and blood as an offering on our behalf. And as the disciples and Jesus' family weeps, we also experience the pain and helplessness as the vessels of sacrament are taken away from us. And then finally, the pyramids are removed. As they stripped off the clothes of Christ and gambled for them, so we take off the clothes of the church. Now everything is laid bare. Uh, If you get an opportunity to go to one of these services, I highly encourage it. Uh, You're left speechless. And you don't really know why, except that you know something's happened. So, the church marks the season of Lent by some more practices. Uh, the church is the people of the church, I should say. Giving up something pleasurable for the sake of spiritual practice. So, in other words, some people might give up social media. Uh, maybe it's a particular sin that somebody focuses on saying, okay, whether it be an addiction or what, whatnot, uh, people maybe uh, limit their eating, either in a fast or a complete fast or a partial fast. Uh, maybe you say, "Okay, I'm having too much recreation, so I'm going to limit that." Um, and then some people systematically clean out their house during Lent. They look around and say, "My gosh, my I'm cluttered. My soul's cluttered," and so they try to get all the junk out of their house, give it to Goodwill, or so on. Some people, and I encourage this, is to pick something up. All right. So this means maybe giving more to the church, maybe adding some volunteer service. Uh, to community efforts or to the church, whatnot. Maybe you're going to spend more intentional time with your family, but the point is to feed life-giving practices of the gospel. Pick something up that will help you. All right, so one of the things you do during Lent uh, is you don't say the hallelujahs or the Allelujahs during Lent. Many evangelical churches may not know the special place the simple term hallelujah or hallelujah has in the has in the history of the church. It's a big, huge, massive, joyful word. But for many, it's become like our use of the word awesome, like everything is awesome, right? Everything, ah, that's so awesome. Historically, the church has silenced the word hallelujah for Lent, and the reason being is that we take these 40 days and we think of the passion and the death of Christ. We think about sin in general and how it, is, um, and how it has scarred ourselves in creation. But then when Easter comes, we greet one another with, with saying this, Christ is risen, hallelujah, and the other person would respond, He is risen, he is risen indeed. Alleluia, alleluia. All right, remember that. Christ is risen. Hallelujah! Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah! alleluia. Okay, also you don't use blooming flowers in the sanctuary. Everything about Lent is to focus on the kingdom coming. We see sparks of life, but we don't experience the newness of life until the passion of the Christ and his rising from the grave. This is a small way in which the church plays out the drama of the story of the Son of God bringing newness of life. So you have no blooming flowers, but when Easter comes, however, man, you fill that sucker with light, bright colors, lilies, just to make it grand, pageantry everywhere. Shouts of hallelujah and praise from the entrance of the doors to the exiting of the parking lot. Rejoice for Christ as King. Now here's some fun things about Lent, y'all might know something about Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday, and it is uh, one of the more Catholic observations of the of the season. Fat Tuesday is the last day you can eat anything that you want without before the fasting season of Lent. Uh, so some of the things about Mardi Gras is carnivals. Now, listen, this is kind of fun. Epiphany is January the 6th. That's the official end of the uh, Christmas season, but it also kicks off uh, the season of Epiphany. Epiphany, which is Carnival season. Uh, although some people say Carnival and Mardi Gras are interchangeable, they're actually different things. Carnival is a time to eat, drink, be merry before the rigorous fasting and sacrifice during Lent. Carnival is filled with parades, balls, and other celebrations leading up to Mardi Gras. Uh, Mardi Gras is always the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, so I think it's March the 5th this year. Uh, Carnival officially ends at midnight on Fat Tuesday and Lent begins. The Funny Forty Fellows is a band of Twelfth Night Revelers. They hold their annual ride on the St. Charles Street car on January 6th. That's called, that's Epiphany, and that's called Twelfth Night. The ride begins around 6 p.m., which is, uh, excuse me, and that celebration begins on Decatur Street with historical characters in medieval dress parading through the French Quarter. During the carnival season, venues all over town will have live music and special guests uh, to get in on the celebration. So again, when you think of the parades at Mardi Gras, that actually begins on 12th night, uh, which is January 6th every year. One of the cool things I've introduced to my family that uh, I try to do every year is the king cake. Okay, so again, uh, this is kind of associated with Mardi Gras. A king cake is something similar to a coffee cake, but it contains a little baby Jesus that's baked inside the cake. The king cake tradition is thought to have been brought to New Orleans from France in 1870. And so this king cake is this oval shaped, like I said, cross between a coffee cake and maybe a French pastry. And it's very rich in its symbolism as well as flavor. It's decorated in the royal colors of purple, which signifies justice, green for faith, and gold for power. These colors were chosen to resemble a jeweled crown honoring the wise men who visited the Christ child on Epiphany. In the past, such things as coins, beans, pecans, or peas were also hidden in each king cake. Uh, because uh, plastic sometimes melts when you get too hot, so they would use a coin or a bean or something like that instead of a instead of a Christ baby. Today, the tiny plastic a tiny plastic baby is the common prize. So at a party, the king cake is sliced and served, and each person looks in their cake uh, to see if it contains the baby. If so, that person is king for the day and bound by custom to host the next party and provide the king cake next year. Another thing that I've introduced at uh, the Margaret Hank Church when I was there was Shrove Tuesday. So Shrove Tuesday always falls, um, again, the day before uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, And it's the last opportunity that, in the previous years, people had to use up eggs and their fats before embarking on the Lenten fast. And pancakes were the perfect way of using up these ingredients. So in the United Kingdom, pancake races form an important part of Shrove Tuesday celebrations. You dress up in your Sunday best, and you run with a skillet in your hand while flipping a pancake. A course is marked out, and the contestant must flip the pancake three times during the race. Uh, The most famous pancake race takes place at Olney in Buckinghamshire. Legend has it that in 1445, a woman of Olney had heard the church bell ringing before her pancakes were ready, and she ran to the church in her apron, still clutching her frying pan. So the the only Olney pancake race is now world famous and now you know about it too according to historic hyphen at uk.com at westminster school in london the annual pancake grease is held a burger from the westminster abbey leads a procession of boys into the playground where the school cook tosses a huge pancake over a five meter high bar the boys then run or uh, then race to grab a portion of the pancake and the one who ends up with the largest piece receives a cash bonus from the dean in Scarborough, Scarborough, Yorkshire, on Shrove Tuesday, everyone assembles on the promenade to skip. Long ropes are, atta- are stretched across the road, and there may be uh, ten or more people skipping on one rope. The origin of this custom is not known, but skipping was once a magical game associated with the sowing and sprouting of seeds, which may have been played on, uh, placed on burial mounds during the Middle Ages. Many towns around England used to hold traditional Shrove Tuesday football. That's like a pickup game of football. These games date back as, and should be soccer for our American listeners. These games date back as far as the 12th century. The practice mostly died out with the passing of the 1835 Highways Act, which banned the playing of soccer on public highways. But a number of towns have managed to maintain the tradition to this present day, including the Alnwick in North um- Northumberland, uh, Ashbourne in Derbyshire. <laughs> Uh, Ashton and Warwickshire and Sedgefield and they call that simply the ball game and that's in the county of Durham and then St. Column Major uh, it's called Hurling the Silver Ball in Cornwall so anyway lots of fun practices associated with Ash Wednesday uh, it does make your holiday traditions a little, uh, a little more fun when you follow some of the traditions that have been passed on from Christians to generations past so I encourage you to uh, maybe pick one of those up and do a little study on Ash Wednesday. I pray that your Ash Wednesday study from the denomination, if you use it, is is fantastic. Or maybe you can just use this podcast by yourself. I'm going to end our podcast today with uh, talking with my stepdaughter and asking her about her Lenten practices. All right, so we're joined now by Hannah Karenogan. Hannah is my stepdaughter, and we were just going to ask her her uh, understandings of Lent and other things that she's Learned during the Lenten season. If I remember correctly, you grew up in the Baptist church, so you probably didn't. No, no, you didn't practice Lent much. So the first time you were open to the idea of Lent was probably when I came into your life. Yes. What Lent practices or observations or things have you appreciated over the years?
1: Like what have I done to? Yeah,
0: I mean, has it helped your spirituality? Has it? Uh, made the season of easter any more important to you anything like that
1: um i first started lent when i was like probably 12 and so basically mom just told me to give up like candy or soda and i did that and it usually did not last
0: no didn't last very long
1: um but i would say it gave more meaning to easter
0: um what about the worship services of easter or lent.
1: I do like the lent.
0: What's worship the services? Uh we've done one that's called the tenebrae service, which is where we black out the sanctuary and then we have the candle. Oh yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Uh what was it about it? I mean, it's obviously different than a normal worship service, but
1: I don't know, it just I feel like it when you turn off the lights and everyone's silent and you're just watching everything cuz that's where you bring in everything one by one, right?
0: Mm, that's the candles. The, no, the, that's the stripping of the altar service. Okay. So the Tenebrae service is usually about seven candles. And then we do a reading extinguish candles. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I like that one because yeah. everything kind of slowly...
0: Slowly goes dark.
1: Yeah, you know? I like and, that one.
0: Yeah, and you're kind of left at the end of service like, eh. hmm And then I think what you were mentioning then was the stripping of the altar Yeah. service. And uh, that has a profound impact on me. And it's an impact that happens without words. Um, Yeah, yeah. What was your... When you went through that the first time, what was... I mean, just... just
1: I think the first time we went through it, me and my best friend were the ones that did it, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Y'all might have been the people who helped me strip the altar.
1: And I don't know, the fact that you asked us to help you rather than like adults or sort of brought more meaning to it also
0: when you have you always been the one or were you able just to sit back and
1: um i think we've only done it like twice
0: okay all right yeah so it's it's pretty profound so after you go through that strip in the altar service like everything is bare like the church looks dreary and sad and everyone's quiet everybody's quiet but then easter right Mm -hmm. like what's your favorite easter worship memory
1: I mean, I like it when everyone's all dressed up, like even I'm dressed up. Right. I don't really get dressed up for church that much. Yeah. Right. And everyone looks fancy.
0: Everyone looks good.
1: And then I don't know, it's just a cheerful. Yeah. Usually we'll have a choir. Christ especially. is risen. Yeah.
0: He's risen indeed. Yeah. yeah. The lilies and the colors.
1: You see a lot of your family cuz yeah. a lot of people show up to church on Easter. Cuz Easter's a good day. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that wasn't too hard, was it? <laughs>
1: It (laughs) was (laughs) weird.
0: Thank you.